Hello listeners, welcome to the Bailey Wicksport podcast. In this episode, myself and Steve Anderson met with Nick Campbell to discuss trading the rugby field for the boxing ring. From titles with the Jersey Reds to the first Scottish heavyweight champion in 70 years, here is the Glasgow Warrior. Nick Campbell, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background from an early age. Yeah, so I'm, I'm from Glasgow, as you can probably tell with the accent. One of the things I was worrying about, people being able to understand me on this, but hey... <laughs> Grew up in Glasgow, uh, loved football when I was a kid, um, loved boxing as well, but football was my main kind of, you know, Celtic are my team, Celtic Rangers if you grew up in Glasgow. Uh, I wanted to be a footballer when I was young, played for all the kind of youth football teams. One weekend we were there, one of the lads at the side of the pitch was shouting he should be playing American football, not football. So my mum decided to take me to rugby after that. She had a few words with the guy. And then we went to the rugby club. And I, that was the kind of beginning and all that. But boxing was always a passion. My grandfather was a professional boxer back in the 1950s. And I always played rugby. But always done a bit of boxing training alongside it. Yeah, I love it. You mentioned the uh, the rugby background there. Eight years as a pro, including Glasgow Warriors and Jersey Reds. Tell us a bit yeah. about what representing them was like. So, like I say, I came up. Rugby kind of serious when I was 15, 16, decided to, you know, go, f- go full tilt with that. Got a contract with Glasgow Warriors when I was 19, played four years, then came over to Jersey in 2013. So I've been over on the, the island for over 10 years now. Yeah, anyone, anyone, anyone who follows you knows that you're keen to stress your Scottish and Jersey roots. How important is that to you? Listen, you know, I, I, I hate saying this because it kind of, it's as if you're trying to make out you're a big deal, I'm not. I'm just a normal guy, but when you walk up King Street, the amount of people that come up and want to speak to you, you know, take two minutes of your time, wish you luck for whatever's coming up in the future. It's a great kind of community we have on the island, and it's a great support network. And I love that, because I could walk up Buchanan Street in Glasgow and not one person recognises who I am. So I, it's, good to, it's good to have the support of the island, it's good to know that people follow you. But before I came here, I was in the Santander Cafe, down at um, the Frog on the Stick, and um, I, I walked in, and this lad was staring at me, and I was like staring at him, and he's going, are you that guy that boxes? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had a wee chat, and he was a lovely guy, do you know what I mean? But you wouldn't really get that anywhere else in the UK, unless you were, you know, a big boy like Tyson Fury or something like that. So listen, it's, it's nice to have a wee bit of support, and I love the island. Yeah, yeah it's, there's quite a bit... Um Obviously, quite a proud history of boxing over here in general from an amateur front with Leonis. Yeah. Um, do you keep an eye on any of that local stuff going on? 100%. So I, I boxed on a Leonis show when I was an amateur back in 2018. 2019, 2018. 2018, I think it was. My fourth amateur fight. And uh, I got to box as a guest on their show. I used to train a lot up at Leonis, but I boxed for a club in Glasgow. I would travel over and fight in the amateur tournaments in Scotland and stuff like that because my first ambition was to try and go to the Commonwealth Games. So decided to go through the Scottish route. But Leonis were good enough to let me train up there and also let me have a fight on one of the home shows down at Radisson Square Gardens. So <laughs> that was it was a good experience. I had, you know, the only time I ever fought in Jersey. Yeah. And it might be the only time I ever get to fight in Jersey. And I got a good win against a lad from Manchester. And a big right up in the JAP. Um, <laughs> after it and stuff, still got the clippings and stuff in the house. So that was 
probably one of the highlights of my amateur career, getting the fight over here in front of all my mates and stuff in Jersey. So always keep an eye on what's going on with Leonis. Yeah. Uh, all kept an eye on what was going on with the Commonwealth Games when Tom was over there. Um, aye, and support support any boxing on the island. I seen that he's done a wee article last week in the paper about the amateur boxing on mm. the island. So no, listen, it's, it's positive, it's brilliant. More people that are interested in boxing on the island, the better it is for everybody. So definitely yeah. keep an eye and support the amateur boys whenever I can. Yes, yeah, he started that amateur career back in 2017, 15 fights, and then turned professional in 2021. What's that transition period like from amateur to professional? Yeah, well, I suppose there was an extra element with the rugby. So I had transitioned from rugby to boxing, which is a transition in itself. And then I boxed three years amateur. And I just kind of felt with COVID and everything that came around, it was maybe the time to turn, turn pro. Um, I'm obviously a bit further on in years, um, although I, like to feel, I feel young. I know that I'm getting a wee bit older, so I've not got maybe as much time as some of the younger lads, and it just felt at the right time to, to turn over. There's a lad called Mark Dunlop, who used to be a resident on the island as well. He's moved back to Belfast now, and he's a manager in the UK. Uh, he was the guy that turned me over at the pros. So I had a great time as an amateur. Got to, you know, won the Scottish national title, fought GB championships, British championships. I only had 15 fights, but I fought you know, the best lads in the country in those 15 fights. Mm. Partly that was thanks to rugby. You know, I was fast-tracked. I was already a sportsman, so it was easier for me to transition over to another sport, having the background I did. Um, and like I say, I'm, I'm very thankful for everything rugby done for me and that, that, you know, I would not have been able to do what I've done if it weren't for rugby. You must have so, prepared you taking a few big hits as well. Well, <laughs> aye, it does help. It does help. So, aye, no, listen, it was, it was a big transition going from one sport to another. You know, chucked right in at the deep end, trying to learn as much as possible, as quick as possible. And then the opportunity came to turn pro. And I just kind of thought, you know what, you only live once, you only get one opportunity in life to do things like this. Yeah. And that was the, the thinking behind it. And that pro debut on a matchroom <coughs> card, massive occasion. Talk us through that now. Hi, that was, you know, I was actually supposed to fight in Belgium. And that fight fell through. Um, the board wouldn't let me fight abroad for my first professional fight. They said you had to fight in the UK. Um, whatever. And um, luckily enough, Mark uh, Dunlop, the lad I spoke about, is an absolute maniac. Um, if you watch any interviews about Belfast boxing, Mark, there's a kind of theme that goes like Mark's just nuts and he just annoys the life out of Eddie Helm but he gets all these opportunities for his fighters so Mark was straight on the phone to Eddie as soon as that fight fell through he knew that there was a show going on in I think it was April 2021 and he just kind of played the tiniest violin in the world and was like Eddie this big lad he's been training he needs an opportunity will you get him on the show and he fair play to him he got me on there and it was during Covid so everything was locked down so he managed to get my dad into the fight as well it was, it was surreal, and like just, you know, being around Eddie Hearn, Conor Ben topped the bill that night, Ebony Bridges was fighting on that show, um, there was a f I can't remember the other fighters, that's terrible, but aye, it was surreal, surreal experience, and you know, coming from one sport to the next, it was it was nuts, like, it was yeah, nuts. Absolutely, you, um, Elliot just touched on a bit before there, 
about your transition across from rugby to boxing. What about from a mentality side as well? Obviously, uh, an incredible amount of pressure uh, on a boxing front. Rugby, there's 15 of you out there. You can sort of lean on each other. Quite a lonely place boxing at times. Uh, when you're in a ring, I know you've got your corner, but how did you feel that rugby mentally prepared you for that step into the boxing arena? I think... Um yeah, like you can't really compare the two sports in that aspect because, like you say, you've got 15 men to lean on. If you're not, or 14, if you're not having a good game, there's always something that can pick up the slack. If you're not having a good night in the boxing, there's a good chance you get knocked out. So, aye, there is definitely different pressures, but I think in general, being a sportsman, being able to deal with pressure, you know, work, work towards a goal, you know, have targets, have, you know, things that you want to try and achieve having been a sportsman in another sport a lot of it transfers across it's just more so in the, the, the day of the fight the ring walk actually being in the fight it's, it's an individual sport so it does bring different kind of pressures but listen I, I love it I thrive off it um, challenging myself to see what I can do what I can try and achieve is what gets me up in the morning and what helps me go to the gym and do all these horrible sessions. So, <laughs> I, I, th- I love it. But, like I say, I've got a lot of different rugby before and I do feel as if it's prepared me. You know, playing in front of crowds, you know, not wanting to let your teammates down, I don't want to let my coaches down, I don't want to let the people down that have invested time in me and effort and sponsors and all that comes into it. So, no, definitely different pressures, but a lot of it's transferable. Yeah. Absolutely. Something I picked up on from watching some of your fights is how calm you look walking into the ring and then starting the fight in that sense, possibly not <laughs> possibly not inside from the look of your face, but certainly um, on the on the outside, none more so than that Jack McFarlane Scottish heavyweight title fight, the first yeah. one for 70 years. And uh, there was quite a bit of back and forwards in the press conferences and whatnot from him, wasn't there? He was having yeah. some comments about you not being a a true Glaswegian and some more rubbish like that. How how do you how do you walk into the ring ready to take someone's head off who's been giving you um, comments like that and stay calm? Uh, you know, I had known Jay for a long time before that, so I had actually sparred Jay when I was an amateur, and he chucked it after three rounds and said they had a sore shoulder, and then obviously enough he starts these stories that he dropped me with a body shot and sparring and. But I think, going back to the rugby thing, I'm not one for really like trash-talking. or I don't really, it's part of professional boxing, unfortunately. Mm. You've got to do it as part of the game. But I just kind of blocked it out, to be honest. I knew I was going to go in there and batter him. And uh, I was looking forward to going in there and doing a job in front of Glasgow. Um, Jersey's obviously my second home, but Glasgow is my home. I was born, born and raised East End boy, so... It was good. It was good to go out there and get the bragging rights and do a do a proper job on him. And to be fair to Jay, he's tough as nails. Um, he talks, he talks a lot, but he he's a tough he's a tough old boy. I broke my hand in that fight in the second round. Um, on his top of his head, I, I went to throw a right hand and he put his head down and I punched the top of his head and broke my hand. Thankfully, it never affected me too much that night, but I got the job done. And um, to be fair, I mean, it can take a hell of a lot of punishment, but the proof's in the pudding on that. So. I've watched that fight. He seemed to complain a couple of times about 
something that was going on with his eye or I thought it might have been a clash of heads at the time but you broke your hand broke my hand uh, in the second round that that middle knuckle there it's a bit more raised than the others now thankfully touch wood it's alright but uh, did you did you know at the time or I knew I'd there? done something but you don't listen like when you're in the moment and you're in you don't really think about it as much your adrenaline's going everything's kind of you don't want to you don't think about it if you know what I mean but I ended up in the Western, no, where is it? The Queen, Queen, I can't, Queen Elizabeth emergency, getting x-rays and then they're like, yeah, you broke your hand. Broke <laughs> so uh, that was a bit of a nightmare. But listen, that's sport, is it? Injuries and I think Jay, you know, he actually got a tattoo two days before the fight on his head and they weren't going to let him fight. He's a nutcase. And um, he said it was a pre-fight tradition that he always got a tattoo. And I'm going, how stupid do you need to be to get a tattoo in your head? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So he came in with this tattoo and he said, and the board were going nuts and they ended up, they just went, oh, you know what, like, if this guy daft enough to do that, then whatever. <laughs> but, aye. So that's bizarre. Broke his hand. <laughs> Maybe that's what he was complaining about. I don't know. But um, that was one thing that, you know, I learned for that fight as well, though, that in boxing, when you get beat, a lot of guys will go, I never trained well, I never had the camp, I never done this, I never done that. Nobody, very rarely any fighter comes out and goes, you know what, he was a better man, he won. Mm. In the conversation. And that was Jay. Jay had had the best camp in his life before it, he was ready to go out and do a job and then after the fight, oh, I never trained well, was mm. up and down. But anyway, that's one thing I learned, you've just got to block out all the kind of external things, especially people talking and just worry about your job and going mm. and get it done. Yeah, do you think there's a sense of mentality there of boxers not wanting to sort of take ownership? It's easier for them to accept if maybe, oh, I think I could have done more in the build-up, so mentally next time they fight, they feel like they're in a better place than just putting their hands up and saying, I'm not good enough? I think the top fighters know. Like, if you look at any top, top world-class fighters that go in and get beat, most of them go, no, like, that's fine. It's more guys like Jay who, you know, back out. But listen, I say that, you know, Wilder was going on about the weight was too heavy yeah. in his jacket and this happened and Fury's gloves. But so I, it does happen on all the levels, but all you can do is just go out there, give the best account of yourself, block out all the other noise and just know that you've worked hard and done everything you can. And at the end of the day, the best man always wins on the night. Yeah, that's absolutely. Just um, and looking sort of forward ahead from that, obviously first uh, Scottish heavyweight champion in 70 years, sort of world's your oyster at that point, you move on um, and obviously experience sort of the big highs and lows of them boxing and, and sort of fall to Steve Robinson there. And, mm. and I know we discussed at the time, you sort of really took a step back and reassessed the way you were doing things, the way you were training uh, what you were putting into boxing and sort of went back and, and kind of stripped yourself down and, and started again, I feel. Yeah, listen, um, Steve Robinson fight was a fight that I was winning out of the park, but yeah. heavyweight boxing, one punch can change everything. Uh, I did a lapse of concentration, got caught with a left hook, uh, got up, felt that I had recovered from it, and then he kind of put it on me at the end of the, the round and the ref stopped the fight. Listen, like I'd said to you previously, 
at the time, you know, I'm thinking the ref should let that go. There's three seconds left to go in the round. Give me the minute. If I come out and still in trouble, stop the fight. But listen, yeah. ultimately, Steve won on the night. Ash have done better. The best man won, and that's it. Would I take a rematch with him tomorrow? Aye, I'd <laughs> love to get him back in there. I'm a different fighter now. Um, you know, I learned a lot. You learn more from defeats than you do easy victories. So, if that opportunity ever came up to get the rematch from it's one that I'd grab with two hands. Whether he would take it or not, it's a different matter. Um, he's obviously had a loss since then as well, so I don't know where he's at. But listen, I don't, it is what it is. I've, I've, I've had many defeats in life, do you know what I mean? I just need to keep going. Keep going. The end goal is the most important thing. And like, like I said to you, you take it like a man, you get beat, you get beat, you put your hands up, you go back, assess, see where you can improve and learn to make improvements. And I think that applies to everything in life, do you know yeah. what I mean? It's not just boxing, it can be business, it can be, I'm sure you guys have had stuff in life where you've thought, oh, what am I doing here? I need to go back and reassess what I'm doing. So it's a good, valuable life lesson. Yeah, because there's no man possibly in sports history that knows that situation better than Tyson Fury a man yeah. you have recently spent time training with yeah, along, yeah. alongside your now good friend and teammate Joseph Parker. Tell us all about that. Yeah, so basically <clears throat> I got invited to go over to camp to be Joe's sparring partner before he fought Joe Joyce. Um, and previously before that I had sparred Sonny Bill Williams who has been coached by Andy Lee at the time who's now my coach. Um, and built up a wee bit of a relationship with Andy back then. Then fast forward a couple of months, Joe did a sparring partner for Joe Joyce. I get called in, done a, a good week with him. Kind of built up a little bit of a relationship with Joe. We got on really well. And off the back of that, I got invited to another camp in Dublin this time. Um, and I, the relationship just kind of grew from there, if you know what I mean. We've ended up becoming really good mates. He's genuinely one of the good guys in boxing. I've never met anybody that's had a bad word to say about him and he's a great fighter and he's done a lot for me in the short period of time I've known him. So from my point of view I've got a lot to thank him for. You get, you know, if it weren't for Joe, I wouldn't have really got the opportunity to have Andy as my coach now. Mm. So massive thank you to him. And obviously Joe and Tyson are very good friends. When you're in Morecambe, Tyson's there, you know, picking his brain, sparring with him. You know, just being around them. I think, um, you know, that way you see the people that you associate yourself with or the people you hang around with, you end up becoming like those people. And I'm not saying I'm becoming like Tyson or Joe, but a little bit of it rubs off on you, especially their mentality, their attitude, their work, the work ethic are things that I've been trying to pick up on and learn and take as much as I can. And obviously Andy as well, one of the greatest Irish fighters, professional boxers of all time. Um, former world champion and a proper legend of the sport. If you watch the matchroom shows where he does his commentating, he's probably the only commentator that I really listen to and go and like he's good, he knows what he's talking about. So to have that opportunity to be around those guys, to have built the relationship with Joe, obviously have Andy now, it's, I, I feel like it's the best place I've ever been in as a fighter. So take us into that gym situation then, for those of us who will never experience sparring six foot nine, Lenny or heavyweight champ Tyson Fury. What's it? What's it like? Ah, uh, yeah, like Tyson is just an enigma to be honest with you. There's nobody quite like him. 
Um, when I was there, they had four different sparring partners. So we had me, Solomon Dakers, Martin Bacoli, and Joe Parker. And any time he was going into spar, he would box a certain way against me. He would box a certain way against Solomon. He would box a certain way against Martin. The box and like like a totally different fighter each time. Like he'd be on the back foot counter punching one. Uh, with me, he'd be like trying to pick me off, trying to set me up to to counter me. With Martin, he'd be putting it on him, coming forward, being aggressive. Like he can do everything, and it looks like it's natural to him. Whatever he does, he's just an incredible fighter. Like and being around him, the first training session I'd done, I was into spar John. Listen, it can be quite, you know, you're going to spar a former world champion, somebody who's in the top 10 in the heavyweight division. So you're nervous. You don't obviously put out that, you know, you're in there, do a job and train hard. And Tyson was in the gym before us. We were sparring. Tyson's done doing his session and I get in and he goes, right, big man, I'm in your corner today. I'm going to be cornering you. Let's go. Let's get gloved up there. And you know that way you're surreal, you know. Yeah. The lineal heavyweight champion is going to be in your corner giving you instruction. And I goes in and I'm warming up and he comes up and he's like, your front foot, you're too much on your heel, get more on the front toe, adjust this, adjust that. He's a great coach and he's given me all this knowledge and wisdom and I'm like, this guy doesn't have to do this. But the biggest thing I took from it was you were geared up to go in there and smash Joe. They wanted you to go in and batter him. Yeah. And he's like, if you can go in there and batter him, give him as much work as you possibly can, it's only going to be good for him. So that was the kind of biggest thing I took from it was that they wanted everybody to be the best they could to push one another yeah. to be as good as they could, which is the way it should be. Do you know what I mean? There's other sparring camps you'll go to and you're just you know, cannon for her, like they want you going and get knocked out. But listen, this was it was a surreal experience. And I think one of the, the biggest things for them or the kind of feedback I got was that they appreciated the fact that anything they told me I tried to do. And then I was like, Well, why would you not listen to these guys? This guy's probably the best heavyweight of this generation and in the conversation for being the best heavyweight of all time. Joe's an incredible fighter, former world champion, looking to become another world champion again. Andy's there, former world champion, Irish boxing legend. Sugar Hill's there, like nephew of Emmanuel Stewart, post, probably the best ever boxing coach there's ever been. So if you were going to go into that environment and not going to listen, you're an idiot. So that's, I was just in there trying to learn as much as I possibly could and take it all in and be the best I could, to be honest with you. It's unreal. What an experience, man. Absolutely. And um, sort of coming off the back of that, I know we had a discussion uh, and you had fights after that. Uh, how frustrating was it sort of feeling like you're in the shape of your life and a couple fights this year sort of dropping out last minute? And as as you alluded to at the time, there's really nothing you can do, but it's it's got to... It's got to be tough when you know you've put in that sort of effort and it's at the last minute. The dark side of boxing. Yeah, I mean, the two fights this year, the one in September and the one in November there. So the one in September was in Glasgow. I'd sold £5,520 tickets. And then the day before, the, uh, your opponents pulled out and can't get a replacement. And I'm like, I've sold seven and a half grand worth of tickets. What yeah. am I supposed to say to these people? Yeah. And uh, it's not my fault, you know, I've done everything my end. I've prepared as well as I possibly could. It's just the nature of the sport. Like, it's one of the most frustrating things in the world. In rugby, you know, if a game get postponed or cancelled, 
you've always got the week after. Yeah. You don't have that in boxing. So it was bad. The last one as well. The lad hadn't done his medical. He only done part of his medical, and he waited till the Wednesday. We were fine on the Thursday to submit the last part of his medical. Why he would do that, I'm not entirely sure, but that's what it is. I don't want to start. Read into that what you want, but I he only submitted his eye his eye test on the Wednesday morning, and they told him that everything had to be submitted by Tuesday at five p.m., and then I only get told on Wednesday night. So I, it's just, you know, it's yeah. the worst feeling in the world, especially when you've trained so hard, invested money, invested time, you know, and you don't get paid unless you fight. Listen, yeah. listen money is a byproduct of hard work and doing well, but ultimately, you know, you can't be shipping loads of, loads of money for fights that don't happen. Yeah. And uh, that was frustrating, very frustrating. But listen, everything happens for a reason off the back of it and they actually got me an opportunity to go over to Germany and Sparbag at Caballero who's fighting on the 23rd of December as well European champion and uh, that was an incredible experience over in Germany so everything happens for a reason one door closes another opens and like I say I just need to keep focused keep 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 on track and keep working hard and the opportunities will come my way and the, the, you know I'll go in there and do the business yeah absolutely so I'm, I'm going to pick your brain because it looks like there's a chance this Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk uh, title fight might happen. Right. Who's, who's going to win? I think Fury. I think, um, listen, Usyk is an incredible fighter. Um, arguably the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Mm-hmm. But Tyson... I don't think... He'll be, he'll be able to compete with the size of Tyson, the boxing ability of Tyson. He's never faced anybody like Tyson before. Uh, if you look at his fight with Chisora, he struggled a little bit when the guy put him under pressure, put him on the back foot, and could kind of absorb his pressure, absorb his punches. Um, and I just think Tyson will bully him. I think he'll rough him up, hurt him to the body. And I, I can't really see... Usyk beating Tyson. Everybody's going to say, oh, what about Ngannou? But it's not the same fight, you know. Yeah. I do think Tyson maybe underestimated Ngannou a little bit. Um, he trained really, really hard for the fight because I was obviously in camp with him before it. He trained really hard. Um, sparring 10, 12 rounds, two sessions a day, out running, doing everything. Um, I just think it's maybe hard to motivate yourself when you know you're fighting a guy who isn't in the same class yeah. as you. And to be fair, Ngannou, he surprised everybody with how he boxed. He looked good. Yeah. For a guy that's, that's his first ever fight, mm. amateur or pro, against the lineal heavyweight champion, he surprised a lot of people. To knock him down as well. So I think that was a kind of perfect storm combination of Tyson maybe having a little bit of an off night, Ngannou having the best night of his life, mm. the knockdown. I do still think Fury won it if you go and watch it back. But... The Usyk fight is a different proposition and it'll be a different Tyson that turns up for it. So Do you think that might help Tyson? Maybe he needed something like that just to be like like hang on a minute, I I do need to keep switched on. Is it yeah. easy to get a little complacent when like you said there, I mean Tyson's an enigma, you watch him fight over the years, it's incredible sort of what he's been through and got yeah. back to. Do 
do you think sometimes you need a little reminder going maybe I'm not bulletproof I think yeah no definitely um, like having been in Tyson's company what you see on TV and what you see in person uh, it's two different things you know it's a persona that he, he has to put on because he's putting bums in seats and people want to tune in and watch him so he's not he's a humble big guy um, he trains hard he knows what he needs to do he doesn't take this out lightly he knows exactly how big a challenge is in front of him but um, I think like you say that I think being out in Saudi I don't think he walked to the ring till 2 in the morning mm-hmm. over there and I, that's obviously you know doesn't happen in the UK yeah. so maybe you're right having that experience of being over there for fight week the spectacle of it all what happens on fight night is a good thing because it's going to prepare him for this fight with Usyk. And like you say as well, maybe it just gives him a little bit of hunger because yeah. he's got a lot of people now saying, oh, he's not what we thought he was and did this, so he's going to want to prove a point. Yeah, it sounds like that's his mentality if he's wanted to prove people wrong, himself included, sort of mm. all the way through his recovery. And if anything, it could just fuel fuel the fire here and people say, maybe you're not all that. Oh, 100%. Mm. If you listen to Eddie Hearn, I listened to one of the, or the interviews he done, and he was talking about Fury had came to him in Monaco and he walked in 24 stone or 25 stone and he said, I want four fights, then I want to fight well with her and I want to do this and do that. And then Eddie Hearn just went, mate, I'm not investing my money in this, like you've lost the plot. <laughs> and then he ended up fit, having two fights, fought well with her, Drew, then beat him in the rematch. And then he's like, if I knew that was going to happen, I would have invested in him. Yeah, that so, rematch knockout is the most impressive display I've, I've well, seen. Ah, listen, I think um, I, th- that trilogy is an incredible trilogy when you think, I think he won all three fights, I don't think the first fight was a draw, mm-hmm. um, but listen, the fact that he was able to, you know, go through all the problems he had, come through the other end, and then become the lineal heavyweight champion in the world, beat arguably the most devastating puncher in the history of heavyweight boxing. Who knocked him spark out. Aye. 12th round and he still got up like aye up up there with the George Foreman you know mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. don't know if it beats the George Foreman one but it's definitely up there mm. definitely up there um, and listen like I say I, I need to pinch myself sometimes because I'm around these guys and learning off them and mm. you know asking them questions and having con- like just having general conversation just yeah. it's surreal yeah. it's surreal but listen I'm blessed and lucky and Aye, you, you've got to have a bit of gratitude for the opportunities you get sometimes, yeah. you know what I mean? That being said, next year, 2024, big year for you. We spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. Tell us what's what, what you've got planned for next yeah, year. Yeah, like, listen, I want to be out fighting in the January, February. Um, I want to get two or three fights. I've got a new coach now. I'm working with a new team. Um, and I want to take a big fight. You know, uh, back end of 2024, get a couple of big ones under my belt, good fights, but learn and build a bit of momentum and really have a crack at it. Um, like I said, I don't feel as if I've had this kind of opportunity before with the team I've got around me and the people that I'm working with and learning from. So, aye, I've just got to take it with both hands, soak everything in, listen to what these guys are telling me. And um, hopefully my good mate Joe is fighting Wilder on Saturday night and I genuinely believe that he can beat him. Um, it's a big ask, but I feel like this is his time. And um, it's that him getting that one 
would be a great end of 2023. Oh, and it would to watch that fight. be a massive kick on for myself personally, confidence boost for 2024. So uh, the only disappointment I've got is that I'm not able to be out there with them. Um, but I'll be watching and I'll be with them in spirit. And it's a massive night, massive night of boxing. Mm. And I really hope my mate can go and get a get win and kickstart a massive 2024 for everybody involved. It's a good run, yeah, absolutely. Good things involved. But one more. Oh, okay, go for it. Slightly more light-hearted. We'll finish on a walkout songs. We started with a bit of spaghetti western, which I thought was awesome. We sort of moved into Oasis. Do, do you have... Is there sort of one that you're going to stick with or do you switch it up per fights? How do you, how do you go about picking that? Do you know, my manager at the time, Mark, like I said, he's a maniac. And uh, he, he like came to me the week before the fight and he's like, right, big man, what song are you going to come out to? And I was like, I don't know, Mark, I'm not too sure. I've not quite... I need to know, I need to know now what you're going to come out to. Da, 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 da. And I was like, Mark, I why do you need to know now? They don't need to know till... So we ended up, this is what Mark's like, we'd pest you and pest you and pest you. And then he's like, right, I've got a few ideas for you, big man. And he had played a couple of the songs, and one of the songs was the Fistful of Dollars. And I was like, I quite like that, Mark, it's quite good. He's like, right, I will go with that. You, you know, when there's crowds there, they'll all be whistling and all that. Man. So that was why we went with that. But I've, I was a massive Oasis fan when I was a kid. Um, and I've always loved the band, do you know what I mean? When I was a 90s kid, so... They were the biggest British bands at the time, and I, it's always I. It's, I'm, I'm not going to come out to rap music. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not going to come out to something that's not me. So that was why I chose Oasis and Rover. Are you going to stick with them for the for the next one? Or? Yeah, I probably will. I probably will. Um, I feel like the kind of Scottish, the bagpipes and all that's been done to death. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm a Scotsman. I've got my tartan trunks with a Scottish flag and the jersey flag on them. But I, I feel as if that's you know I'm paying homage to my country enough there. So no flower of Scotland in the park. no flower of Scotland. <laughs> no, actually, it was quite embarrassing. So fighting in Wembley Arena, and same thing. Mark, what song are you gonna come out to? And I was like, I actually said to him, I'll go with Rollway Oasis. Nah, 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 they won't like that down there. And I'm like, Mark, what do you mean they won't like that down there? It's like massive British yeah. band, they love it. <laughs> nah, nah. Flower of Scotland, you should come out of Big Man. And I was like, what, in the middle of London? I'm going to come out of Flower of Scotland. And he's like, ah, it'd be brilliant. And I'm like, oh, nah, I don't think so, Mark. So he left it and left it and left it. And then the guy had said, I never got asked again about it. And I never really thought anything about it. And as I'm walking up to the, the weigh-in skills, because they played the music that you picked for the weigh-in, Flower of Scotland comes on. And I was like, ah, oh, no. And then after, like, all my mates, mate, who picked the flower of Scotland? That's a shock. <laughs> so I'm I, sure there would have been a selection of Scots was, in the crowd that would have been happy mm, to I, Even Scottish people don't know. <laughs> like, oh, come on. <laughs> so that was the first and the last time that I'll ever walk out to the flower of Scotland. If I'm ever in a big enough fight where you need to sing the national anthem, then I, by all means, but I'm not walking out of the floor of this corner again, that's not. What a perfect place to end, jeez, I'll never go. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> no, thank lads. you so much for your time. No, no, I hope that was alright. Yeah, Same perfect. Thank you very much. Right. Nick Campbell, thank you right. so much for coming on the video. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you.